0: totally blew up the protocol totally. <laughs> that's why yeah i should have made yep. a joke about it you know, no 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 it's good yeah. welcome to hallway conversations we're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture and we believe in the value of collaboration and reflection as we seek to keep growing as teachers so this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to christian educators welcome to the conversation Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers.
1: I'm Dave Mulder. I'm Abby DeGroote. As always, we want to thank you for allowing the three of us to be here with you today. And we want to thank you for joining us in the hallway. Each week, each week one of us brings a question and we try to think creatively around it in the context of what it means to teach Christianly. We're good friends who love each other and we love engaging each other in conversation about our practice. And our deep hope is that you are enriched and encouraged in your own work and maybe even in your everyday walking around life. Well, we continue to have a long list of topics that we want to talk about. We also want to know what hallway conversations you would like to hear. So if you have ideas or questions or feedback about this podcast for us, or you simply want to share what hallway conversations you're having, please email us at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com, hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. So, guys, a few weeks ago we did a book talk with – What I thought was a pretty brilliant protocol that we sort of invented. We tried
0: so hard, you guys. We tried so hard. Did we?
1: It was called. Some of us tried harder than others, but it was we did what was a two by two by two, which we're now affectionately naming this protocol the arc. That's right. Two uh, by so two. this is the arc protocol, and we get two minutes to talk about two ideas from two books. Now. The two books is firm, right? <laughs> the two ideas is sort of Flexible. negotiable. And the two minutes actually means nothing to some of us. So we're going to do our best. You can also tell that in listening to this, we're getting closer to the end of summer and, and near the beginning of school starting because we're both giddy and quite tired. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what, We'll see where this goes. So That's right. Abby, I'm gonna put you on the spot right. since you are most concise and get a following <laughs> protocol. Oh so boy, what, what, what's one of the books you brought today? Abby? Okay.
2: So one of the ones that I brought and actually both of my books I listened to, so they're actually on my phone, but I wrote some notes here. Um the first one is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. So Brene is somebody I've listened to quite a bit. Um, She's got a TED Talk I know that's pretty famous. She's got several books on leadership, vulnerability, shame. Um, And I have found her um, research, she's a grounded theorist, she's a social worker. And so I think just the way that she transfers the research that she's done into lessons that are applicable and can be... um, like, integrated into your practice. She just does a brilliant job Mm -hmm. of that, I feel like. And also, the thing I loved about Dare to Lead is, um, one of the premises of the book is that, really, you are a leader in any area of your life where you have influence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think it... It kind of blows up our picture of like male CEO in a suit, kind of a kind of leadership, and says no, actually, like you're a leader in the home. Teachers are leaders in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, kids are leaders. You know, so anywhere you have influence, um, mm-hmm. you're you're a leader. And the premise of the book is that um, to become kind of a brave leader, yeah. so being. Mm-hmm. Willing and courageous enough to lead with authenticity and vulnerability, um, choosing and practicing your values, building trust with the people that you lead, um, and developing actually failure resistance, resilience, sorry, not resistance. But um, So she talks a lot about what vulnerability is and isn't. Um, It's actually the courage to face. kind of hard things. Um, She calls it the risk of failure or emotional harm, and as a teacher modeling that to students, Mm -hmm. um, but also being firm with boundaries around it. Um, Clear is kind is one of the kind of taglines that she offers, so having the courage to be honest in a classroom with each other in your work. um, I think as a teacher hearing, it really has shaped my ability to hear feedback Mm-hmm. In ways that are that I can, not get defensive and put put armor up. Right, she talks about armor a lot, armoring yeah. up, and not and having the courage not to just be defensive, but mm-hmm. to hear things yeah. and to, and mm-hmm. to then do better. And so I just think for so many reasons, teachers could um, mm-hmm. really get a lot out of this book.
1: Yeah, yeah it's a, that idea of armoring up is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that resonates with me. Like I've so I've read this book, I've watched um I've watched Brene Brown. She's got a wonderful I think it's on Netflix. We watched Actually oh, yeah. Together yeah. as a family. Yeah. It's been really helpful for me for all kinds of reasons in terms of the you know, hey, what does vulnerability look like? The right. import, the importance of that. Um, but the armoring up really resonates with me because yeah, I, On the one hand, I can be a bit of a paradox in that, yeah, I want to be better at what I do, Mm -hmm. whether it's as a a parent, um, as a husband, as a professor, like, I want that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so on the one hand, I want the feedback. Because I do want to get, like, who doesn't want to be better at at what they do? And yet on the other hand, my identity sometimes is so wrapped up in those things That, that to get feedback, sort of makes me question my identity Mm -hmm. so then i then i arm her up right and so how do you in the end for me i remember in 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 reading and watching her this idea of um do you trust that the person giving you the feedback isn't questioning your identity but they actually want to help you Mm -hmm. you know use the gifts that god has given you for the sake of for the sake of the kingdom for sake of students for your family and um but you have to trust that and and, and trust, it, trusting can be hard. And it
2: takes work, right? Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. I mean, I talk about, like, I don't know if you guys do this, but when you receive, like, all your, we get student feedback yeah, every semester, yeah, right? And yeah. to open that, like, I have to be in the right headspace <sighs> oh, you know, yes. in order to, to open those evaluations. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of work that I have yeah. to, you know, yeah. do in order to hear yeah. all of that yeah. well
1: she's been helpful for me in sort of just trying to work to work through Mm -hmm. that and and to
2: normalize those things in some ways that it's okay to feel that and now how do you move forward yeah and she rightly says you can't have creativity without failure right Right. you have to be okay with you can't have breakthroughs and good work unless you are okay with getting it wrong sometimes yeah Yep. yeah
0: good. Thanks, Abby. Yeah. How about you, Dave? So I brought a lovely little book by Timothy Keller. This is not a teaching book at all. Uh, The book is called The Prodigal God. Mm. Um, Most of you are maybe familiar with the story of the prodigal son in uh, in scripture. And so this is um, a book that Keller wrote about that parable that Jesus Mm. told. Um, And I went through this book as a study with a small group at our church many years ago now. Um, But if you haven't read the book, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, What I loved about this book is it really pushed me to rethink a lot about my personal relationship with the gospel. And it caused me to just think through what I thought I knew about the gospel in light of what the Bible actually says. Right? <laughs> like that's a, So, so uh, the parable Jesus tells, it's about the prodigal son, uh, comes from Luke 15, and Jesus is telling the story about this. It's in the context of parables about being lost, right? the lost coin, the lost sheep. And this is the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Um, But the context really matters for this. Jesus is telling this parable in mixed company, right? So he's surrounded by a crowd of people, uh, tax collectors and sinners. I'm putting that in air quotes, Mm -hmm. right? These wicked people. But also Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he starts off his story, there was a man who had two sons. Mm. And that's where Keller starts and says, we get this wrong so often, because we want to make it the prodigal son. And it's like, notice the parable starts, the man has two sons. Yeah. And in this mixed company, yes, you've got the prodigals, the, mm. the runaways right. uh, who are living extravagantly mm. and all that, but you've also got the older brother times the ones who wow. stayed. That's the Pharisees and teachers mm. of the law. And it just challenged me to rethink how I was always taught this, this parable, because really what the message is, and Keller makes this really clear, both sons were lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the one who ran away and the one who stayed both mm-hmm. needed the lavish love of the father. And mm-hmm. that, that was such an important, important message for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And where Keller ends up going in the book, and this is why I think it's important for folks who are Christians, who've been Christians for a long time to grapple with the message of this book. It's easy for us, for me, I'll point the finger again at myself here um, to judge. Well, oh, look at those runaways, look at how they're sinning, uh, yeah. all that, right? They're in need of grace uh, somehow, And Keller gets us to the point where he's saying, actually, the point might be for the Pharisees, those of us who feel like we've got it all figured out and know what we're supposed to do, it might be for us to really have to do some inner work and and Mm -hmm. some discernment. And those of us who are quick to judge others' lostness might actually be blind to our own lostness and how much we're in need of grace. So, I don't know. Uh, I, I found it an incredibly compelling book, and uh, I don't feel like I've given any spoilers for it. That way, it's just a, a lovely little book that just challenges and pushes your thinking about parables that you maybe think you know.
1: Yeah. No, I like that. I'm I'm right away making a connection, even just in a in a classroom, right? Of like that. Mm-hmm. This reminder that every student who walks through the door of our classroom or the front doors of our school. Comes with a lostness. Like I think sometimes yeah, we, right. it's easy to categorize, you know, like the lost or hey they seem like they're doing well mm-hmm. and and maybe there's different elements or levels of that, but but that everyone comes into our room carrying a, a right. burden, right? Yeah. And and some people can, you know, put a mask on and hide that better than others, perhaps. As if all, got as 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 we got our stuff all together. If we got our stuff all together and. And I think sometimes I think we have to remember that as teachers, actually, right, is yeah. to say mm-hmm, like yeah. the, the the students who who might appear to have all their stuff together or mm-hmm. are friends or mm-hmm. um, yeah, to know that, like you know what there's there's hurt in all in all of us, right, and right. we can do it ourselves, right, like the this put out this perception of how of how hey this is how I want to be. Perceive mm-hmm. right? I like I've shared some of that with you even in my own life. The hardness of things going on and yet yeah. wanting to to present a different mm-hmm. a different way and so
0: no I and I appreciate for that. for me like uh, the longer I've lived I I can't remember a time in my life where I wouldn't have called myself a Christian right I grew yeah. up in a Christian family yeah. I've gone to church my whole life I'm a Pharisee right yeah. like if I look at that crowd of people around Jesus yeah. I'm a Pharisee yeah. and I like I needed to hear this message so yeah. long, so clearly. How about you, Matt? What's the book you Yeah,
1: you've no, I I came a, across this book a couple of years ago. And I, in fact, I remember coming it across um, a friend, Aaron Bart. Um, I think it was on his Twitter account, to be honest. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by um, John Mark Comer. And the title just really, right away as soon as I saw the title, <laughs> it really resonated with me because one of one of the things that I'm very aware of, and I have friends who make, Make fun of me in a loving way most of the time is is I have this phrase that I use quite often, too often, and it's the phrase, I got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. Like I use it a lot. Like I'm in a conversation, all right, yeah, thanks. I got to keep moving. And it's this idea of always sending the message that that I'm always on, like I got to go to the next place or I got things to do. And um, the title resonated with me because I think I've been challenged in my life over the past few years for different reasons to. How do you actually not? How do you actually not move? And how do you be fully present? Whether it's in conversations, whether it's physically, um, whether it's with my, you know, where's my phone when I'm having dinner with my family? Yeah. Um, and it's this idea of like, so what? And what spiritual practices? Um, it for the book forced me to reflect on what spiritual practices I need to put in place to get to the outcome i want to not just desire it to say i'm gonna i'm gonna slow mm-hmm. down right like that it's not gonna happen unless you actually put practices in, in place because otherwise it's yeah you're just giving lip service to it like mm-hmm. like it's it's which is no different than in anything whether it's a sport or anything if you if that's the outcome you've got to put the you've got to put time practice and and so he just talks about these different practices of of, you know, re- three really simple, like, he just talks about silence, Sabbath, and sim- simplicity, um, all three of which I'm not great at, to be honest with you, like, mm-hmm. like um, if I think about even Sabbath, like, for me to rest is, is really hard, like, even in my resting, I don't feel like I'm fully at rest, mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways I know for myself that i that I have learned to rest over the last few years is actually by going for drives cause I don't have access to my phone. Yeah. Um, you know, hmm. I can listen to uh you know a radio, yeah. I can listen to a podcast. It can be in silence. And so it's sort of a forced rest, which I know maybe sounds terrible to some people, but for me, it's like putting it out of access, putting it, yeah, just like actually putting things in place where I, where I put my phone at, at night, um, those types of things. So like, and so just to sit in silence, right? Like. Um, even like noise in the house or in my op- in my office, you know, I'm always asking Abby, "Hey, what song should we listen to?" See, that, and I'm geez. real good
2: at silence. Yeah, I <laughs> totally. So I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm, yeah, not, Abby,
0: I'm so, like an expert. Yeah, totally. So and I get along really well when it comes it's to great. that.
1: It's so great. and even just this idea of simplicity, like how do you, how do we, how do we simplify our lives? Like whether it's the stuff in our lives, whether it's um yeah just trying to be all things to all people so um i just like this idea like the ruthless and as i like the language of the ruthless elimination like you have to be ruthless if you if you want to get there so um, i i really i really recommend it and he and he just talks about the quiet life and as much as i love to talk and as much as i love to listen to music and um i i do think i'm actually getting better at embracing silence so i I recommend this book to to anybody especially yeah. people at the beginning of a school year when yes. there is hurry and rush yeah. and we feel that i gotta totally. get the syllabus i gotta get it's to actually say how can i make some choices and put some practices in place that actually mm-hmm. allow me to be more whole and to flirt and to flourish as a human
2: being i used to teach Thoreau. right it reminds me of yeah. some Echoes of yeah. Walden Pond, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah I would totally. Uh, that that yeah. resonate that resonates, Abby. That I'd say that's a that's a good connection like yeah. between that and this book. So Abby a se- a second book?
2: Yeah, so I'm actually gonna talk about one that I'm currently reading, listening to. I'm not quite finished with it, but I feel like I have enough of a handle on it. It's called The Body oh. Keeps the Score by vessel van der kolk Mm. um dutch guy um who is a psychologist psychiatrist i can't remember one of the two but um he's an md and he has kind of dedicated his life's work to studying trauma and its effects and how it manifests in our physical beings right and how it comes out and um to start off he kind of really i think makes the case that um Trauma is probably the most neglected public health crisis in Hmm. the West.
0: Yeah.
2: Unresolved trauma. Interesting. Um, And he kind of draws on a bunch of scientific studies for that. A couple of just really kind of um, startling statistics. Um, The number of Americans killed by family members outnumbers the number killed in both world wars. What? Right? like So domestic violence, right? Um, Women have double... The risk of domestic violence in their lives than they do of breast cancer. Wow! Right. So I mean, and like he cites the ACE study, the groundbreaking. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of yeah. ACEs, right? Yeah. So adverse childhood experiences, yeah. um, and just the number of people that have had a number of adverse childhood really experiences, really hard things yeah. in their life. Yeah. So seeing a family member like get beat up, yeah. um, parents in jail. Yeah. Um, yeah experiencing violence themselves, um, oh. sexual abuse neglect um, mm-hmm. things like that um, he just argues if we don't address will we will I mean, they have physical outcomes so the higher your a score the more likely you are to have mm-hmm. adverse actual health outcomes mm-hmm. and so it's costing us money it's costing us productivity not to mention the severe effects it has on a person's quality of life. Yeah. Right. Wow. So as Christians, it's just really um, eye opening for me to think about the way that God loves each of us and the way that this must just break his heart. Mm-hmm. Right. First of all, um, for, for each of the kids who are experiencing these things and adults um, who experience trauma, but also as teachers, understanding how behavior right, is really rooted in trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. When
2: it is problematic, yeah, and and how that helps us react to students and understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. in ways that are really important, I think, yeah. and can help us help them. Um, well. So there, there are several books on trauma. Um, a friend of ours, Tara, who works teaches in the social department here, comes and speaks to our Ed site classes um, mm-hmm. about trauma. Has has other books she recommends too, but I think it's a an issue teachers need to be aware of, and he argues yeah. about that in the book too for that, for systematic training mm-hmm. um, yeah. about trauma and its effects and how to help mm. students.
0: So what I love as I'm hearing, I have not read the book, yeah. I should just say that, right? That, but it gets to this thing that we hold pretty deeply, right? The way that God has created us to be, right. like, yes, we are physical beings yes. but yes we are spiritual beings yes. right so this whole idea when jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart and all your soul and all mm-hmm. your mind and all your strength it's like you are all of those things yep. at the same time and you can't and they separate interact. them right right yeah. it's we're holistic that. we're
2: holistic yeah you can't you know we talk about physical domains yeah. as right. well as you know mental and, yeah. and spiritual and social yeah. yep yeah. and you can't separate that yeah. Right. And so it comes out in all sorts of ways mm-hmm. yeah. um, if you if you don't address it.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Thanks so, for sharing that.
0: Yeah. I'm feeling like i got to read it next. Yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning a lot. Dave, how about you? A second book? Yeah, i got a second one. So the second book I brought is Technopoly, The Surrender of Culture to Technology by Whoa. Neil Postman.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and you guys know I'm an ed tech guy. Uh, I've read this book several times. Uh, I first read it when I was doing my Master Studies way back in, in the day. Uh, this book was written in 1992. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's an old book. <laughs> wow. And it is... One of the most prescient critiques of oh. modern culture, to like contemporary wow. culture today that wow. I've read for a book that was written like 30 years ago, right? Like my word well, 92 is 30 years
2: ago. I know,
0: ago. I know. I need a moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, I don't know that. You know, I don't think you needed to say that out loud. So <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. thank you, sophomore uh, year. Okay, years. okay, so here's the thing, though. Okay, Postman, He, he he's an academic. Like he, he totally is an academic. but he's written other really, really great stuff, but he writes well for a popular audience. But mm-hmm. I just want to like frame it that way. This is probably a more academic read. I sure. So you got to know that coming into it. But it is such an astute cultural critique. I, I'd say it, it is a book about technology, but it's really a book. It's a sociology book more than anything else, I think. and And uh, Postman was a um, a scholar of communication theory in in a lot of ways, right? So um in this book, he's talking about tools. Um, and he takes a very broad view of technology. So any anything that's a tool that, that humans devise. So, yes, okay, we think of computers are, are tools. Yes, they are. And that's maybe where you go first with technology. But he says, so is writing. Writing mm-hmm. is a tool. And writing is a mm-hmm. technology in, in that sense, right? And so, like, you, you got to take pencils, right? Yeah. Uh, all kinds of things that you would use that you think of. I mean, anything that makes work easier is a tool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and he says in this book, uh, there's been a shift in the history of humanity, um, from being tool-using cultures, where we had these things that we would create, um, some of them physical, like a hammer, or some of them intellectual, like language. Mm -hmm. Um, The tools that we would use that help you to get work done. Uh, So you move from tool-using cultures to what he calls technocracies, where there's people who have specialized knowledge of particular kinds of tools, and they become elevated in society Mm -hmm. in different ways, right? And then he says, and there is this further shift where it can be technopoly. Hmm. So like uh, technopoly would be where technology actually rules and mm-hmm. everything else is subservient to mm-hmm. technology. And he said at the time of his writing in 1992, there's really only one technopoly in the world, and that's the United States of America. <laughs> and well, <laughs> oof. Like from yeah. that position in, in the early 90s, he has so accurately predicted where we would land as a culture 30 years later. It is almost scary how yeah. accurate he, he is. So that's that's my encouragement if you want to read it, right? Um, encouragement or discouragement? No, I agree. <laughs> it. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, to read yeah. it. It's discouraging. Yeah, yeah. And he's really um, asking questions in the book saying, like, okay, so um, if if all the information is free out there, and which it is on the World Wide <laughs> Web, right? Mm-hmm. It, information is free. Um, he, argues actually against that. He says this is a problem for society because if there aren't some kinds of baffles to slow the spread of information, then suddenly every person's perspective is equally valid. And And how do we we judge what is true? Like, and he was arguing this in the early 90s, right? Um, And and so that raises a whole bunch of questions about, so what? What do we do with this? And so after like 12 chapters of Bringing us to this point where you're going, oh no, our society is doomed. His final chapter in the book is called The Loving Resistance Fighter. Mm. And he says, this is the antidote. So I'd like to just actually read a short bit of it here. He says, how do we fight against this Mm. tendency toward technopoly? You have to love.
2: Mm.
0: You have to love and care well for other people and stand against dehumanization. Mm. And so he says, um, those who resist American technopoly are people who take seriously the meaning of family loyalty and honor And who, when they reach out and touch someone, expect that person to be in the same room as them. Mm. People who know the difference between the sacred and the profane and do not wink at tradition for modernity's sake. People who take the great narratives of religion seriously and do not believe that science is the only system of thought capable of producing truth. And then this is where he ends up. uh, People who admire technological ingenuity but do not think it represents the highest possible form of human achievement. So I, I just find this really compelling. I'm a technologist myself, um, right? I, I value technology yeah. and all that. But I found this to be a really compelling read.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: I would encourage folks to, to pick up a copy, even though it's an old book about technology. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting to read
1: that now with the lens of a place like Twitter or Facebook, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Smartphones in general. Yeah, smartphones yeah. in general, right? We're all, you know, all the truth all the truth is at your fingertips mm-hmm. and all the, all the things you, all your truths can be confirmed right. on a phone, right? Like this is what I believe. Let me find someone who can tell me that I'm right in believing yeah. it versus how do I engage, engage mm-hmm.
0: critical thought. Right? And, and so then we're looking for echo chambers. Totally right. Yeah. Like that. I want to find people who are already just going to pat me on the back for what I yeah. already think. And yeah. with easy access to information, you can find yeah. someone who agrees with yeah. you right oh. but david it's
1: interesting because because on the one hand i like yeah we need to have, be having critical conversations and learn how to disagree well yeah. but but there's also an element of like it can feel very unsafe nowadays to come in with a different perspective totally right totally. like e- even sadly we can have that among friends now where it's like you know what we we don't engage in tough conversations mm-hmm. because we sort of know how the story is going to end, and so we yeah. deem it not worth it. And and yet mm-hmm. to not have those conversations because mm-hmm. they're so worthwhile, and, and actually learning how to have those conversations in relationship yeah. is what strength I would say strengthens the relationship right. rather than just kind of this surfacey We're not we're not going to talk about politics. We're not going to. You know, like let's say we're not going to talk about the vaccine. We're not going to talk about religion. We're not going to talk about um, LGBTQ issues because because we disagree and we're never gonna we're never gonna find common ground. And but but it's this posture of for so many I think we come into now so many conversations of not what can I learn or what mm-hmm. can what can my neighbor teach me but how do I prove that person wrong yeah, and that's right. that's such an unhealthy like because I was I said this to somebody the other day. I can't remember the last time I ever changed someone's mind on a, on a on a topic right
0: <laughs> but but that's not the goal Right. But but it but it seems like it has become the right. norm. And, and Postman's argument would be the tools that we're using for communication are part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely, right? and, absolutely. And instead of just sitting down in a in a room together the way yeah. we do here, yeah. like we try to engage each other yeah. in a conversation, right? What if what if that became much more of the norm? I think yeah. that's really what he's arguing yeah. for in this no. book. Well,
1: to go back to Brene Brown, right? We all our armor's getting thicker and thicker, yeah. right? Yeah. Like and and what does it mean to approach a conversation? Open-handed and hospitably, rather than tight-fisted, mm-hmm. right? And I think we're just becoming a. And I speak for myself. Like I'm not when I say we, I'm not for the listener. Yeah, I, yeah. Can be for Matt beamers right? I can become more tight-fisted about the
0: things. Things I believe in. And then here, I'm thinking about the other book I brought here, too, The Prother yeah. God. It. Here yeah. I am, the older brother. I have the yeah. Pharisee yeah. in this whole yeah. thing, too, looking yeah. down my nose at other people. Yeah. But I'm part of the problem.
2: Yeah. I, have a, I've, I listen to a podcast regularly called Pantsuit Politics, and the mm. two gals that do that have a book called I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. Oh, yeah. Which is also just another one I would recommend about mm. having those hard conversations, especially around yeah. politics or other things yeah. that... Just
0: a posture
1: of connection yeah. over changing minds right. Yeah. Folks ending ending our uh, podcast today talking about connection feels appropriate. So I'll, I'm gonna save my second book for next time because okay. I just feel like okay. this is an appropriate way good. to end and I, I think you yeah as we go into our week I, yeah, to encourage our listener to encourage even the three of us as friends right is how do we have meaningful conversations and make it safe for people to bring divergent divergent opinions, right? And um, we want, Folks, we know that your time is valuable. We want to thank you for joining us today for another hallway conversation. So whether it's in this day, this week, this month, this coming school year, as you uh, prepare for that, we hope that the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. We want to thank each of you for the good, God-delighting work you're doing in your schools and in your communities. And as you go into this week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week, everyone.
0: Thanks for joining us. This podcast was quite literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Thanks for listening.